Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Hey, good morning, everybody. This is Good Morning New York, and it is Tuesday, October 20th, and I am your host, Vince Rocco. It is my pleasure to be with you, with you today, as always. Uh, global investment in real estate reached its highest level since 2007 in the first half of the year thanks to a flurry of deals in the Americas and in New York City, according to a new report by CBRE. New York City was by far the biggest market, attracting $40.1 billion in investments over the first two quarters. That's 10% of the global total of $407 billion, a staggering share for a city accounting for 1.8% of the world's economic output. London at 19.4 billion and Los Angeles at 19.3 billion were the next biggest markets, each recorded less than half of New York's investment volume. Airbnb and other short-term rental services straddle a fine line between the so-called sharing economy, characterized by collaborative peer relationships, and the economy proper, the the realm of shrewd profit-seeking enterprises. While most hosts on these platforms rent their apartments casually to make extra money and meet cool people, a sizable minority use them to run de facto hotels earning substantial income. These business-minded hosts are, in effect, exacerbating the city's already acute rental housing shortage, taking hundreds of rental units off the market in some of the city's hottest neighborhoods and putting upward pressure on rents. New Yorkers will have to wait in line for an apartment at Gary Barnett's new one Manhattan Square condo tower on the Lower East Side. Extel Development is marketing the project to Asian buyers first. Extel will uh, start sales for the 800-plus unit building exclusively overseas with Barnett targeting buyers in China, Malaysia, and Singapore. Apartments at the 80-story tower located at 250 South Street won't be available stateside until early next year. The units also won't be breaking any price records with most one Manhattan Square condos listing at between $1 and $3 million, this according to Bloomberg News. Two federal-style buildings in Chinatown and the East Village are finally getting a crack at landmark status. The Landmarks Preservation Commission will consider the buildings located at 2 Oliver Street and 138 Second Avenue for landmark status at a hearing on November 5th. The hearing comes several years after the properties were submitted for landmark consideration. Landmarks had uh, planned to remove 95 landmark contenders, including two properties, these two properties rather, without public input. Uh, The commission reversed course, however, after several preservationist groups uh, rallied the plan and the agency began holding hearings on the properties last week. Yay. Yay is right. So <laughs> so you drop millions on a condo on a high floor, but you can't use your cell phone. This is interesting. It's a sacrifice many buyers aren't willing to make to guard against shoddy cell phone service in towering high-rises. Develop, high-rises developers are adding distributed antenna systems, or DAS systems, to buildings. These systems are about the size of a smoke alarm, and they're installed on each floor of a building, uh, bringing wireless service to tenants. Developers have incorporated the systems as both necessary and a precaution. Related companies actually started uh, these using these systems back in 2009 in one of their projects, Superior Inc., a condominium in the West Village. A strong cell reception is a prerequisite, according to a high-end broker in this town. He says, quote, if you're living in Manhattan, you should be getting the cell reception that you would you shouldn't be getting the cell reception that you would in the woods, especially when you're buying a multi-million dollar apartment. I agree with that. 
The city's rolling out a new online tool. Here we go again. Another tool that's so practical it seems like it must exist already. The beta version of uh, neighborhoods.nyc is now live, linking New Yorkers to a portal where they can get all the updates they might need for their neighborhood on one handy site. The site reflects real-time updates to transit, construction, traffic alerts, 311 service requests, emergency notifications, event permits, and other data. The data is also displayed on a neighborhood map that can be used to look up things like restaurant grades, uh, green markets, and parks. After the 90-day beta period, individual sites will be rolled out for each neighborhood. I mean, do we need another application on our phones? Or That's very cool, phone? though. I That's actually talk cool. about that. I talk about how there's, like, now f- real estate on our phone for applications. <laughs> like, I just can't, like, Amtrak... Although I use it about once a month, do I really need the app, you know? <laughs> I use it. Oh, yeah. And I use New Jersey Transit, too. It's amazing. I use so fast. App. And I'm not an app girl. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just using that as an example. Yeah. But, like, no. you know, you just I just recently went through my phone and my iPad and removed many, many apps that, you know, of course I had to have, had to have. And over time, never used. And I just thought, you know what? I don't need it. Just get rid of it and, and, and pare down some of the, you know, the space that's needed here. But whatever. Um Interesting about, you know, the, the, the uh, Gary Barnett Extel Corporation's new development down wow. in the East Village, targeting Asian buyers first in Singapore, Malaysia, and all, uh, all points overseas. Are you and allowed then, to do that? Well, I was going to say Screams oh. Fair Housing. I mean, really? Hello. What is but that about? They don't about? have fair housing laws outside of the area. But it's a bad but, marketing yeah. strategy because it, what it you is, do is you piss off every other But I know why he's doing it. I'll, I'm guessing only because of what Vince was saying. If you look at the price point, we've been saying amongst us for a while, how many oligarchs are there to buy the Uber, Uber uh, expensive apartments? Mm -hmm. And these are one to three million. One to three. And that's where the least inventory is in the city right now. That's one of the reasons I'm I'm a little shocked about that because Mm -hmm. people here, domestic local people here are looking for that sweet spot, one to three million dollars. The Chinese are as well. I was in a seminar two weeks ago and they were saying that they too, they're the ones who are looking for right. it. I don't care if it's 40 million. Person. I don't care if it's 400,000. You don't say we're going to give this group yes. first dibs. I, I, I to me, that's really wrong. interesting. I agree. I'm curious yeah. as to yeah. why exactly he did that. And he well, is, I, I think he's an interesting man. He does a lot of really interesting yes, things. Yes, he does. <laughs> I would think it's two reasons, right? Number one, um, maybe it's because they're charging, lo- I mean, they're giving out lower commissions. Um, and they're directly going to that buyer versus going through a broker here who is, has a relationship with the broker <coughs> there. And it ends up actually being much more on the brokerage fee side. Um, most of the buildings that are getting sold internationally actually don't just have the 3% co-broke. It actually, they have to go into 4 and 5% because there's another added broker generally involved in that. And then there's mm-hmm. higher negotiations. So from a pricing, so from that standpoint, there might just be a financial reason why they're doing it that way i don't know i, 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 think I had another really reason really smart that. thinking yeah <laughs> and knowing gary Byrne, you know that i don't doubt that he would do it if if in fact you're correct yeah well let's see you know time will tell but that being said to reach not a broker point, fan to well there yeah, too at all but to rachel's so, point <clears throat> it's a matter matter of um at the end of the day there is a need for one to three million dollars here to Vince's point Um, and given that there's so much need for that domestically really he's only going to save a point 
He's going to save I, a point. First time buyers, those are empty nesters. Right. That's actually there's a huge yeah. the first target that you chase in that yeah. price point. I think in that price point, yeah. but also it's, in that neighborhood. Not all the empty nesters want to be in the East Village. Oh, but you or know the what? first time buyers. Here's Village the other reason. Yeah, yeah, the other they reason they don't right. want to be there. You're right. Yeah, the other reason Some is do. mostly everything that is marketed abroad, marketed abroad so far, actually has not been prime inventory. Because if people are getting enough buyers here, there's been no need need to take that inventory abroad. So what I think that the Asian markets have been seeing, unfortunately, is they see the high end, which is open to everyone because there just aren't that many oligarchs, quote unquote, right? Um, but on the other hand, um, there is anything that goes to China or just Asia in general or other markets outside of the U.S. that is in this sweet spot range has been stuff that's been sitting on the market and was not able to be sold well here. So that this makes is sense. so this well, is actually evening yes. the playing field to a certain degree, I believe. But it, then it should be even playing field. Yes. It shouldn't be now a preferential playing it's, field to. It's out. a radical move. It, it really well, is. Well, it, it, it is, and let's I've see. I've never if, heard of it. Well, me either, and let's okay. just see how uh, it gets copycatted uh, if it does. Anyway, let's move on. So we spoke uh, about the purchase process of co-ops last week uh, and how it can be an odyssey for buyers. Yeah, I wanted to just bring it up one more time because I wanted to talk about the last piece of that process that we didn't have uh, time for, and that's the actual board interview. We know co-ops are more budget-friendly than condos, but the interview process is intimidating. So what can a buyer expect from a board interview, and how do they prepare, and are there any hidden minefields that they should know about? So here we are, huh. condo, I'm sorry, co-op versus condo. Um, we understand the process is uh, lengthy, but at the end of that process, after your paperwork and your board package has been approved, you've got to sit in front of uh, sometimes two or six or seven board members to actually have an interview. So what should our buyers do to prepare and what are the hidden minefields? Uh, there's a lot we could say, so I'll start and you guys could chime in. I usually tell my buyers when they're going for a co-op board interview, I usually say, don't think of it as a job interview. That's the first thing. I say, when you go into a job interview, the chances of success are very low, and you're going to come in with all your questions prepared and try to make yourself look good. For a co-op interview, it's almost the reverse. Generally, if you get the interview, it means usually that you're in. It's more just like a check to make sure things are consistent. They want to get to meet you. They want to talk about the co-op board rules, a bunch of things like this. So we usually, I usually tell them, you know, no one's ever been turned down for being too boring, you know. And and <laughs> well, so, and you're right. You're right. Um, well, someone may have a story about this. <laughs> well, well, generally though, but yeah, there's always there's, obviously there's always situations, you know. <laughs> but generally, no ones have been turned down by being too boring. So that's a, a general rule. And so we we just tell people, look, don't you don't necessarily have to come in with your three prepared questions because those questions could lead to other things. We don't, you know, reason for that. Just make sure things are consistent. You put a board application together. Maybe review it before you go into the board interview to make sure that what you're presenting at the interview is consistent with what they saw in the board package. Good point. And it, be on your good behavior. <laughs> yes. Well, you know? how, how, many of you, how many of you actually sit down with your buyers before this interview or at least have a conversation on the phone and prepare them? Because I know a lot of buyers, a lot of brokers just kind of say, well, you know, they're smart people or they, you know, they, they kind of can talk well. 
I sit down and I actually go through an interview I get with them. I drunk right before. <laughs> uh, that generally works. Go get them. Well, I've, I've, I've sat down with with, with Bring my, your A-game. My co-op buyers. Just Absolutely. To, just to let them know what it's going to be like. And I have a sheet that I sent to them before just uh, about questions that they may be asked. You know, it's important not to talk about politics or get into anything. Talk potential landmines. Yeah, talk about religion. Anything that can be really racy. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah no is. current event conversation. Conversations that yeah. happened in the news today. Yeah. Keep it, yeah, exactly. If somebody can have an opinion different than yours, don't go there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And what Phil was saying, keep it, you know, no one ever reject you for being boring. Maybe Deborah has something different. But I always just tell the buyers, look, less is more. You know, ask about general questions. If they ask you, do you have any questions? Just say, hey, you know, how do you guys do laundry here in the building? Just, you know, basic, <laughs> basic stuff. Where's the local coffee shop? How, where do you guys go, you know, Absolutely. shopping for food? Where do there's recyclables whole, go? Yeah, there's a Whole Foods around yes. the corner. Oh, okay, great. great. <laughs> you know, like, like basic stuff like that. That just shows that you have, you know, a vested interest in the building and the neighborhood. And, you know, it's not racy at all. And I think those are just the, the questions that you should be asking. Can I say one thing? Sorry. Hold on. We have to go to oh, break. But sorry, when we sorry. come back, we will we'll pick up on your point, And I want to hear Deborah's boring story. We are going to break. <laughs> uh, you are listening to Good Morning New York. Don't go away. <laughs> Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, real estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. And as you can see in here, we have our full panel today, Parul Brombat from Compass, Rachel Altshula, Douglas Elliman, Phil Horrigan, LeaseBreak.com, Ivy Ray, Blue Realty Group, Deborah Hoffman, Town Residential, and Niall Lundgren, Compass. Boy, it sounds like a, a school taking attendance when I was a school teacher. The names, my goodness. Okay, well, Phil, you, you know, wanted to make a point yeah, you know, before. I was going to say, well, I said that no one's ever been turned down from being too boring, although Deborah's going <laughs> to say something opposite of that. But I, I will say that generally I also tell people to come in and be happy. You love this building. Be excited. Show them how excited you are. The people on a board are there. They're, they're volunteer members. They love the building generally. And if you come in 
and just are ex- so excited about the apartment and the building. That does a lot of the heavy Not lifting for you. Not too excited. Yeah. Too less. Too more. Too less. You don't want to be too excited. Like, oh, I'm going to be bored president next week. Exactly. No way. No, 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 But if you just show a lot of enthusiasm, it goes it goes a long way. Yeah. I would think that to the concept of be consider that you will be an addition to the building, not a subtraction. Absolutely. And that is kind of really sort of encompasses it all. If you sit there and, you know, they're like, oh, my God, by the end of the, you're out. Right. You know, if you're one of those. So just add <clears throat> and be discreet, you know. Have you guys had any board turndowns after an interview? Like what? How many? After an interview? Yes, times I, I had, had one. You've had one. Yeah. I've, I've never had one except the rental, oddly. But uh, that's it. Yeah, I know. I think it's one or two. I, We're all knocking on wood. Yeah. The point, too, yeah. is that it is rare for someone to get turned down once they have a board interview. It is It is pretty rare. Once you get happen. to the point of being interviewed, it's rare that you would once get turned down. Once you get to the point of being interviewed. Unless right. you completely yeah. you know, screw up. But yeah. I want to hear, Deborah. Oh. tell me what I'm... I yes. will, but just for a moment, going to Phil's point, my people who did get turned down after a board interview, it was because of the wife's behavior. You told us told the story week. last week. Yeah. That's right. I so had the same thing. It was, it was behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. It so. was completely um, behavior okay. oriented mine anyway because paperwork yeah. wise it were perfect. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just, she was just everyone naughty. heard it already. No, the, bo- no, the boring story. The boring, the boring story. story. No, the boring, the boring story. story. This is about 10 years ago or so that it was a lovely building on West End Avenue but it was one of those applications that says what are your hobbies what do you do in your spare time and many of the Upper East and Upper West Side buildings so dangerous. do say that oh, I know but they, they ask uh, do you belong to any clubs do you belong to even if it's an alumni group you know that's all they want to know this is a guy he's been he's the vice president of a huge publishing house he's been in this position for 11 years he was in his late 30s I thought he was kind of interesting because he wanted to be on the West Side because because he biked every day, no matter what weather, to New Jersey, to the publishing house, which I thought wow. was pretty. I didn't think that was boring, and he was he was lovely. His finances were really good. He had a, a good salary. He had good savings, but he had no investments. Everything was in a savings account, and he actually filed the income tax returns, the short form that's two or three pages, under uh, hobbies or clubs you belong to or everything. It was all blank. And the broker who I was just discussing with, um, Rachel, who is a fantastic broker and very seasoned, he had the listing, and he had a contact on the board, and he said to me, yes, he was rejected because he was too boring. This is a building that uh, has Halloween parties, has Thanksgiving parties, and he looks like he's not a joiner, and we don't want any hermits in the building. Oh, wow. I mean, that's, I, I'm, that's, not, I'm not surprised by that. You know what the lesson is there? <laughs> yeah. The lesson yes. is yes. if there's a line on an application, you mm-hmm. fill it out. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's N-A, you right. fill it out. You know what? Yes. That's that the point. Time. That is really that's so the learned. point. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if he would have put down something Just there, they may not thing. have asked or they may not have made an assumption because yeah. yeah. it's, it's right there in front of them. The bike riding club. Right, he didn't belong to the club, but now I I learned from that absolutely. And he might, but you know, he might have been a loner, and he might have been a hermit or whatever. But he's still entitled to live, you know, where he wants to live. He can certainly afford the apartment. That's why one in my building. That's (laughs) I I wish my neighbors were like that. He likes no music and no high heels either. Seriously, (laughs) he just reads all day. No babies, no dogs. We need a few of those. Out of the building, he bikes. That's all he does. He bikes and sleeps and bikes and sleeps. All right, let's move on. So we. 
talked about the interview process. Now we're going to talk about the closing process, which you pass your board package, you pass your interview. Now you move on to closing the transaction. When it comes to closing the sale in New York, in a New York apartment, it ain't over till it's over. And that's a true uh, expression, true line. Even when buyer, seller, board, and brokers are all bringing their A-game, there's so much paperwork to wrangle through that it's not uncommon for the closing process to slam to an, un- an unceremonious halt. I mean, it can actually crash and not even happen. So what are a few issues that come up uh, in the closing process and what can you do to get around them? For example, credit crunch. So, you know, after, you know, it's all said and done, you know, somebody pops up and says, um, your FICO score has changed or you're, you've, you know, put more money, taken more money rather out of your account because they can do last minute checks just before the bank that is and then all of a sudden you know where's the hundred the extra hundred thousand dollars that you had in the bank or how come all of a sudden your credit score is you know way down what did you do in the last couple of weeks people think that sign a contract i just passed the board i can do anything i want not really uh i i personally have had a situation where um my buyer was an entrepreneur and uh, he had he was in negotiations of selling a company to Omnicom. I mean, like he really was legitimately very successful. Um, but because he was a tech entrepreneur and the company hadn't yet sold, uh, the bank, not the co-op, uh, decided to sort of ask for further information. They were, and it, it got hairy after everything was said and done before the board inter- interview. But after everything was said and done. Um, that he may not get his mortgage. And that was, of course, a kind of a race to the finish, and we got it done. But, I mean, but things act- can get complicated it actually with happened your to mortgage me. until it's fully approved. Mm, I mean, he had, he had just about every mm-hmm. approval except for the final approval done, and we still ran into a wall. It absolutely happened to me. Um, a guy, this is about probably six, seven years ago, went out and bought a very expensive, very fancy car between you know, board interview and, and close, and the bank did a final check and saw this huge loan and said, what are you, crazy? What I mean... Seriously? So now I gather you advise your clients to not do anything large. Don't buy Close first. anything. Well, yeah. it's, not, it's not even large. It's a matter of people are very excited. And of course they, they got are. approved. They're ready to go. They go out and buy furniture. Well, mm-hmm. they're it could be something basic. Exactly. That can cost they a really lot of money. They really do have to wait. Because That's, yeah. ever since the financial downturn, the banks are very cautious. And they will go back and, and double That's check. right. And they do another credit check the day before closing. Or they they run other things, or the buildings occasionally will look at Absolutely. finances, and it's a basic thing like furniture. You know, not something super fancy like a great car, yeah. but it's things people think they need. Which right, they do. Even, go ahead. No, no, go go. You can even have the scenario of that someone works for, say, a small, not a large company that's been around forever, and everything is perfect, and the company, without you knowing, of course, is now investing in opening another company. Mm-hmm. And last minute, the bank finds that out, and my guy got turned down. Absolutely. Yeah. Here's another one. The seller suddenly wants to stay put. Either they want you know, an extended period because they're buying something or leaving the city, and they can't get into that new place so quickly. They decide, you know what, I need another 60 days. Uh, or, in some cases, the seller says, I decided I don't want to sell my apartment any longer. These are real things. These things do happen. You, you, you buy the apartment, you put your, your, your deposit down, you sign your contract, you go through your board interview, you're getting ready for closing. All of a sudden, you get a phone call from your attorney saying, oops, I think we have a problem here. It ain't over till it's over. Well, well, a lot of that happened, unfortunately, after 9-11 when sellers were unfortunately killed in our horrible incident. Yeah. So 
many times the attorneys will work it out. But if someone just decides, whether it's a co-op or a condo, that they don't want to sell anymore, many times there are, I, I wish we had an attorney here because there are legal options that the buy side actually puts pressure on the seller. They have to have a good reason. They have to have a, a death in the family, a serious illness. So they can't just be airy-fairy and go, oh, well, you know, I think I, I love my apartment. I'm staying put. Yeah. You know, we had, mm-hmm. um, what is his name? I am so sorry if he's listening, the gentleman who's Neil the Gorfinkel. attorney. Last oh, yes. Week. I yeah, last week. So he, he spoke about and really highly advised, and Vince and oh. I were both agreeing, that the more contingencies you try to get in your agreement on the buyer's side, the better. So a lot of people in unseasoned brokers just go in, they're happy, they're excited, they sign contracts. If you've got a really savvy attorney, he'll do everything in his power to have contingencies about this happening. So there's not everything in the world that you can do, but you can certainly have contingencies about sellers getting cold feet. You know, you're right. And if you have, I'm just thinking about that. And the more you do, obviously, the better. But you're going to have to have sellers willing to sign this agreement. But you negotiate that back and forth. That's what I was going to say. But if you do nothing, your buyers are unprotected. And also, this will scope out ahead of time any ambiguous um, sellers Mm -hmm. who, yeah, let's see if we can get a high price. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's go to contract. Let's, I can always pull out. This will scope them out. And people do put their apartments on the market for all kinds of reasons. And one of the reasons is not even to sell. You know, we know we. That's another. Well, show. that's another whole. Yeah, that's yeah, another. All right. So another one is the building's behind on its paperwork. So we're we're really talking about new development here. TCO, CO, temporary certificate of occupancy, or the certificate of occupancy. I am closing today, this afternoon, on Yay. a property Yay, Midtown on Midtown West. Midtown West. Well, here you go. I mean, yeah. the the oh, TCO. <laughs> we were supposed to close in February. We just got TCO last week. We just did a walkthrough. So here people are planning to move into their apartment in February of 2015, Uh, and here it is October of 2015. So same year. That's helpful. Oh, my God. Rachel Rachel brings in the bright side. I love it. Well, it's true. However, you know, uh, and all I keep saying is thank God this is a pied-a-terre for my um, buyer. It's not a full-time residence because if it was, it would be a problem. But, you know, these are all the things that come up after contract signing, after board interview, all that stuff that can potentially happen. Things take so long that your rate expires. How many times have we got caught uh, with that? Oh with our I just More had that not. this Especially week, new last development. week. Yeah. yeah. We just had a... Um, uh, renew the rate because, uh, and you have to pay for that. You know, yeah. the buyer has to pay Buyers for that. Buyers make some a case. mistake by not asking us if they should lock in their rate. They just kind of do it, mm-hmm. thinking we're not a part of the process. But it's an important question, and maybe we should bring it up more and not wait for the question. Maybe that's the lesson there: is to mm-hmm. sort of go again, you know, thirty days before and say, "Hold out on the rate." Right. It's, it's a co-op. It's going right. to take ninety days. How many times so, have you heard that with the buyer? Right. Like, oh yeah, I locked my rate today. Great right, rate. Right. And you know, also yeah. you're like. Oh, oh, wait. wait. Um, uh, yeah, you're actually not closing for four months right. from now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you have that in your mind, like, oh, right. no. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? You don't yeah, because to- they're, they're so anxious to get that perfect rate. I saw something yesterday, yeah. 2.5. Percent oh variable. Yeah, one. Yeah. Uh huh. Unbelievable. Oh. I, it's so th- they they see these rates and they've got to lock in because yeah. you then they know, want yeah. the seller to pay. Right. That's a whole other thing. Yes, it's it, if it yeah. takes too well, long. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, your employment looks iffy. 
How many times have we run up against people getting fired between, you know, um, board approval and and uh, closing, or they quit their job? I had somebody recently, uh, not recently, a bunch of years ago. Oh, I decided to change my job. Well, can't you wait until you close on your apartment? And what happened? It was found out, and there was a problem. We fix we we fixed it, but you know, you can't do these things when you're in the middle. You know, New York City. We say this every week. New York City is. In an animal uh, onto its own, we do everything very differently here. You have to really live in a bubble from the time you buy an apartment, <laughs> sign a contract, yeah, and totally. you close on one. Live in a bubble if and you buy don't a co-op, get out. Don't leave the house don't for three months. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't leave the house. The news. No, I had a fascinating case. It's co- terrible. Yeah, a couple of years ago, it was a man and a woman buying together. The woman made all the money. Everything. The man was a personal trainer who made 15000 a year, but he had over $100,000 in his bank accounts. But you could see there was kind of a power struggle going on because he was a trainer. He had a lot of the... Cougar? Was she a cougar? No, no. Actually, they were about the same age. They were the same age. But she really made all the money. She had a fantastic finance job. And a week before closing, after board approval, he decided he was going to switch banks. Yes. And he was going to move all his money into another bank. Absolutely. So when the building and the and the uh, financing bank decide to recheck again, what happened to all your money? But you could see who they were, and it was a power struggle that he was showing. Well, I have some say in this, you know, type of thing, which. You know, again, I'm, we're telling these stories, so for all of us and everyone out there, we should all learn from each other's experiences and what to warn people about. All right, we have to go to break. Stay with us, though. On the other side, we're going to continue our conversation. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back talking to the panel. So um, this apartment is not $1 million. It's only $999,000, okay? And impressive, as impressive as a million-dollar listing might sound, there are plenty of reasons to avoid one. After all, in New York real estate, $1,000 is never just $1,000, especially where a million dollars is concerned. What does this mean? I mean, why, what is the difference hmm. between nine ninety nine and a million dollars? Mansion tax. <laughs> 
Psychological drivers. Imagine tax, you guys. Well, hold on. That's a psychological drivers. I mean, that's that's a point. I mean, you know, one cent sometimes. You know, nine ninety nine, ninety nine. You get those people who are searching for below a million, right? And that's how you're going to capture their attention. And a lot of times, if it's worth more than a million, maybe one point one, it's priced at nine nine nine. Then you can get the price back up. Above a million dollars to the one one by range. getting all those people by in getting that all the see people that rare apartment yeah. at right. a million dollars. yeah exactly yeah. and then what you, what you were talking about is the mansion tax the mansion and, tax yeah, yeah. and yeah. the danger is that if it's underpriced at nine 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 multiple bids will push it up above that million dollar mark so as much as you go in <clears throat> with the expectation of you could purchase this under that price point. Generally speaking, if it's worth 1050, it's better to price it at 999, create the frenzy, and then maybe even push it up to 1.1 1. 1 or 1150. So if you're going in to look at one of these apartments, unless it is the tiniest apartment that's really pushing above its weight to get to 999. Which happens sometimes too. Which also <laughs> yeah. happens, yes. absolutely. Yes. You, know? Um, you know, the other side of the story is don't expect just to pay that. And at the end of the day, I think it's kind of silly personally that 1% makes such a big psychological difference to a lot of people. I mean, at the end of the day, you're spending a million dollars. It's a marketing fact, though. That's why yeah. things are it always... It really is. For 1999. Yes. That's $19.99. <laughs> and people are like, oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. And they're all dialing the numbers. It's and not $20. The, wow, what a bargain. The little vegetable peeler. Vince, you know? uh, well, I have ahead. a question. You do I a lot of new development. Knives. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, You do a lot of new development. D- you're reading my mind. Go ahead. Okay. The price has to be lower in order to avoid the nine seventy two. Yes, uh, is that correct? I, don't, yes. I never knew the exact number. And is I, that because the buyer pays some of the closing, closing costs? Trans- yeah. The, yeah, the transfer tax. The buyer absorbs all the transfer tax on a buy in a condo, and then when you sell, as a seller, you pay it again. So yeah, the so developer passes it on to the buyer. So um, that adds to the purchase price, and that's why you know a reduced nine seventy two, nine seventy, whatever the number is, right. uh, avoids that mansion tax. And believe me, in new developments, uh, people are sa- buyers are savvy enough when they come into the office to ask about that. And you know, sometimes the developer says, "I don't care," and sometimes you know, depending on the cycle of the selling process, at the end he might say, "You know what? All right, so we'll reduce this a little bit." It's not a big deal. Or we'll, well cover actually, the mansion tax. Or we'll, or we'll cover the, the mansion, mansion tax. tax. Right. Well, something you know what? I, I have the one thing I would it. say to anybody who's listening, any younger brokers, um, I don't care what building it is and how quickly it's sold, selling out as a new development. Just ask. Ask for right. this for sponsor to Absolutely. cover their transfer taxes and their own legal fees. At least ask because you don't get something you don't ask for. And at the end of the day, that's not generally going to kill the deal. They'll just come back and say no, right? I mean, that's the worst Absolutely. that can happen. Yeah. But that is the one piece that can save you a lot of money, especially if you're doing a, a deal in the larger amounts. I mean, if you're buying a $10 million apartment, that's almost $200,000 that you just saved. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. A, a good point, though. When you're, when you're visiting... And these new development um, offices and you know even though most of us understand that there's not a lot of flexibility ask anyway you just Always. don't know you don't know where they are in the selling cycle you don't know where the developer is in his mind I've seen strange things go down in favor of buyers you Absolutely. know because they asked a question Absolutely. versus yeah. just assuming you know you can't get by with it. it's not always just price 
when it, when it comes down to it, right? So what is what is the developer really looking for? Is it to get that uh, ten million dollar price, or is it you know for him to you know uh, offload work, the apartment? Offload the apartment by you know maybe it's not getting the price. Maybe it's offloading the apartment and then conceding on the transfer taxes and paying the mansion tax or whatever it is. So there's different variables mm-hmm. that the developer that you don't know that the, that the developer or seller might actually have in place that that is really important to them. It's important to find out what is important. And to Niall's point, I think that people don't stop to think about the fact that almost always the developer has loans out. The developer has other investors. So if the sales aren't happening fast enough, and sometimes that has to be lightning fast, um, people are getting you know up in arms. So really there's a pressure that the developer is also facing to get a certain amount of deals done. Absolutely. And with the influx of new development coming into the market right now to the next 18 months, I think that there's going to be a lot of buy side ability to negotiate. What I have seen also is, you know, while developers still have their construction loans out there and not paid off completely, the banks don't generally allow them to be too flexible with, you know, uh, negotiations. They want, as you just said, parole, they want to sell the units quickly or as quickly as possible. They want full price. After the construction loans are paid off, and I saw this in the four developments I worked mm-hmm. on, after it's paid off, the developer all, you know, automatically says, wow, okay, that pressure is gone. Now I can, if I need to, be a little more flexible, whether it's pick up mansion mm-hmm. tax, whether it's you know, reduce the price, whatever it is, pay transfer taxes, attorney's fees, but not until that construction loan is, is paid off. All right, moving on, the, in, uh, the intense media focus on when the Federal Reserve will finally raise its benchmark interest rate above zero can be nerve-wracking for home buyers. Many might be wondering whether they should rush to close on a deal before uh, a move by the Fed uh, causes mortgage rates to climb. While it might be smart to expedite deals already in the works, those who aren't quite ready to buy shouldn't feel pressured. Mortgage rates are influenced by many factors, some of which can be controlled by borrowers to get a better deal. What are those other factors? Bond market. Basically, that's where mortgage rates are based on. They're from the bond market. And in three or four sentences, which I can't do, any very good mortgage broker or banker who we all work with will be able to explain that. But it's, as Perul was saying earlier, so many things are driven psychologically. And every time we hear the rates are going up, the rates are going up, immediately everyone's thinking, the mortgage rates are going up. What should I do now? But they're not. They're not. This is the rate that um, big corporations are able to borrow from and And, governments. And not only that, that. even when the rates start going up, they go up gradually. Mm -hmm. They don't just jump jump. all of a sudden. So as people see them going up, then that's the time to really think about it without panicking and figuring out how to make it work for you. But even when it does slowly climb up a little bit, I mean, they really haven't over the past couple of years gotten to a point where people stopped and paid attention and said, wow, now we're getting a little too high. This has got to stop. I mean, we're still yeah. crazy mm-hmm. low. You said 2.5% earlier? Yes, I saw it uh, yesterday, 2.5%. So if it goes up, you know, one, two points, I mean, we're still at three, four. You know, I've, I mentioned on the show earlier when my mother purchased the house that I grew up in when, in the 80s, you know, she had an 18% yeah. interest rate. I had 17% on yeah. I had my first 12. house. So it's, I had you know, we are in an unbelievable yep. environment. Yeah. Next year is going to be interesting because these low rates are going to be balancing out with an election year. And so it's going to be a really, I'm excited actually yeah, to yeah. see what happens yep. because people are still taking advantage of the low rates and the low inventory, but... 
I don't know. I feel like some people are going to be hesitant and scared at the same time. I totally agree with that. Yeah. But just to your point, Niall, I mean, my first mortgage was at 12%. And I remember saying, incredible. wow, I was so happy because yeah. they had come yes. down from 17 and 18%. Yes. It was insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my 12%, I thought, wow, I really struck gold here. Yeah. And it was variable. And by the time I finished that, it was down to seven. I can't remember the exact That's numbers. Amazing. but. At twelve, I was it, I was very very happy. Yeah, it's all relative to what's happening in the market and what you, you what the perspective is. It's like yep. you know you thought that was a great deal. People think that it's you know two six, and a half yeah, and it goes up to three point seven five and they're like oh my god. So exactly. it, it, it all really depends. And my first co op here in the city that I bought, I don't know, got in the in the nineties. It was I remember seven percent fixed for thirty yeah. years, and I was also running in Central Park <laughs> saying, boy, I struck gold again. Seven <laughs> percent fixed. Right? I believe yeah. the word is frolic. I got, I, got, I got the visual. I got the visual of Vince frolicking. Frolicking, frolicking. Yeah. frolicking is a better word. But that's I like that. That's, well, that's, 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 that's when Ivy bought her place. <laughs> exactly. But you everything said, is relative. I mean, 7% was a great thing. Then. Well, there you go. 1974 um, was streaking. <laughs> oh, Dad! Because someone streaked the high school graduation. Oh God, that's right. That, that we did that. Somebody did that in college. All right. Oh, for totally decades, the most famous building in the West Village was the West Beth, a massive block-long former Bell Laboratories building that housed artists like Diane Diane Arbus and Robert. Uh, Bo Camp. Now, when housing in the neighborhood makes news, it's typically focused on record-breaking sales at buildings like 150 Charles Street or the controversial conversion of St. Vincent's Hospital into the Greenwich Lane Condominium. Like many downtown neighborhoods, the West Village has shifted from a manufacturing and artistic stronghold to a center of tourism and wealth where meat packers once carried hulking uh, beef carcasses across, I remember this, the cobblestone oh, streets really? at dawn. Me too. The new Whitney Museum of uh, American Art now stands, and while the West Beth and its artists managed to hold on, it has become an island of affordability and a sea of multi-million dollar homes in this historic and coveted neighborhood. I know, Ivy, you're burst-busting. Just hang on. <laughs> so what has changed the West Village and why? Is it simply progress and new developments? like other areas, or is it otherwise? Or a combination of all of the above. For our listening audience, I'd like to say that you have mentioned the Whitney and meatpacking, the meat carcasses slash prostitutes. It was wild back in the day, right? It was incredible down there. Um, There's a big, there's a difference. The neighborhoods are are distinguished by, you know, borders. So Mm -hmm. we have meatpacking and then we have West Village and Greenwich Village. Mm -hmm. So they are kind of different conversations. Obviously, meatpacking is... I mean, what else can happen there? The beauty of meatpacking, I think the beauty of the entire West Village is that there's a lot, not only of landmark buildings, but a lot of um, height restriction. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, like hallelujah, because a good portion of these neighborhoods can't change because of this. So I'm so thrilled about well, that. Well, exactly. And I think change is going to happen and any neighborhood that's coveted and covetable and has limited inventory, the prices are going to go up. Yeah, that of being course. said, that being said, the fact that there is so much preservation, like 275 West 10th Street. I don't know if you guys have seen that yet. It's beautiful. So, I mean, there's just stuff that's getting done in that neighborhood within the context of the neighborhood that I think is quite exciting. So many conversions. So really, I think West Village, I mean, the fact that it still holds on to its charm the way it has, the city's done a great job. 
Well, we have a few minutes before we go to break, and then I want to continue this conversation. But a quick question is, though, you know, let's talk about the artist and the artist community, not only in the West Village, but I mean, you know, in Brooklyn Heights, I remember, you know, the West Village Soho, Soho. where these were traditional, traditionally their neighborhoods. This is where they began. They went there for particular reasons, whatever. And over the years, you know, we've we've changed. You know, we've uh, morphed into you know brand new. We've we've done lots of things. But you know, what's happening to the artist? that used to call these places home. You know, the old first-generation lofts that we all knew and loved. I remember when I first started um, showing real estate, uh, working in real estate and in Tribeca and in Soho, when you took people to look at lofts, this is before a lot of the new developments, you actually were working manual elevators with cages and the, the elevators opened up into your apartments and these were really commercial buildings that converted to residence, but not with a lot of fanfare. Okay, because people went down there for more space than anything else. So, you know, what has happened? All right, we have to go to break, but what has happened to the people who lived there originally and where did they go? We're going to take a quick break. We Mm. have to uh, get some commercials in there. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back. And I just wanted to finish our thought here on the West Village and the artist who the artist community that uh, lived there for the longest time, and now all of a sudden, you know, things have changed, all for the good, but where did they all go? Well, I think, you know, it, uh, I'm sure everyone can chime in with a little bit of history, but if you go way back to the day when New York was being built, some of these neighborhoods were created as these sprawling sort of family areas. So, in a sense, a New York version of a plantation was built. And then there was the movement where a tremendous amount of... Uh, factories were built like in Soho mm-hmm. and then you fast forward another 80 years 100 years for I'm not going to go into all the details but a lot of those industries shut down 
and moved into other areas of the city. And at that point, the artists, me being one of them for a good portion of my life, I mean, the artists were the pioneers, the ones who had the courage to go move into these buildings in these ghost town neighborhoods. Yes, absolutely. But they were the ones who moved Scary into West Village too. and mm-hmm. Soho. And I, my family, we lived in like two different lofts in my growing up. That Like you went out on the streets and you were like, whoa. I mean, I was excited about it. but And we lived in like basketball, <laughs> you know, Court, basketball uh, court size oh, thank you court size apartments mm-hmm. and so yeah. did all the rest of the artists and mm-hmm. then and then Live evolution keeps going and progress keeps going and buildings get sold and all the artists or a lot of them get moved out and it's all filled with tech and design now. And I, where are they is a good question. Well, actually, a lot well, of, you know, so where, I'll stop where talking. They're going, so. The main place they're going and it's sort of a reverse development. Follow the transportation. Follow the subway lines. Uh, mm-hmm. Williamsburg, uh, Bushwick, Ridgewood, yeah. all these areas along the along all these different lines. They're, all they're also going to the South Bronx along the two and the five lines. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's that's brand new. You know, we're talking. That's oh, brand wow, the South new. Bronx. Yeah. But if you've been there, remember, newspapers thrive on gossip. You hear one story, it's a headline, and but it's not the norm. It will be. I really think it will be because again, it's along a subway line. So just don't follow the subway and bus because that's really pushing it. That neighborhood's finished. You're mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. That one's already something. Just follow the subway and you could predict or the, the new Or the Metro North. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding a lot of people yeah. are going yes. to Westchester. Yeah. They mm-hmm. want a better Donkers. quality of life and not so much about the time it takes to commute. So they're going to the North Fork. They're going to Westchester. They're going to Yonkers. Maybe even Connecticut. As long as it's Yonkers by the Metro North. Yonkers is turning around again. Yonkers. It is around well, you know Avenue. It, it there's, is. there's two things here. So speaking yeah. about history, um, the amazing thing is development in this city has always followed the artist. So even back in the yep. day when it was the Upper East Side was where all the, the rich people and the old mm-hmm. money lived, their children who were the artists were the ones who started moving to the West Side. Yes, they and did. And started the Upper West Side. And then after that, you know, you, you, you were basically talking loosely about the Soho and, you know, the rent generation, rent the Broadway show, you know, like in the 70s and 60s, 70s, 80s, and even before that, if even you look at the, that, even before that, if you look at the West Village and the Beatniks, and you know, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, there's just been an evolution of every neighborhood in this town that has followed the artists, you know. Yeah. And so, to and I mean, really, from a real estate standpoint, what's really important is to follow the artists to see where these communities are getting built out that are becoming so interesting, and that's probably where mm-hmm. the real estate market will go. And boom, next as well. Mm-hmm. It's and, still the, beca- and now the tech, the tech companies, because the tech oh, yeah. companies they are the new are artists that are willing. They are oh, the new I, artists. I'm speaking still of artists yep. and people yeah. that are, you know, photographers and musicians. There's so much culture happening in Brooklyn, and and then the tech people too. Also, they don't, are the forget, ones no, going, don't forget Upper Manhattan. There are a lot going to Washington Heights, Manhattan Heights. I was thinking more companies, and you're not going to find it so much. But Washington Heights is so interesting because even in the days that a few of us remember back in the 70s when Washington Heights was very scary, when the crack epidemic was really huge. West of Broadway, west of Fort Washington, in Washington Heights, was always wonderful and safe because who lived there? The musicians from Lincoln Center, Uh um, teachers. It's always been an enclave. Dancers, too. All the Lincoln Center people, all the Broadway people, because it was inexpensive. It was 20 minutes to Midtown or Lincoln Center on the A train. Uh So... 
as yeah. Phil just said, Washington Heights is really, I was amazed by some of the prices up there. And Inwood, which is the top of the A train. It's coming around. Same thing. Right, we have to move on, but I, I will say, just to close the West Village, it still remains my mm, favorite neighborhood amazing. in this yes. entire city. My engagement party was in the West Village. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Wow. It was amazing. Ah. All right, so more than 57,000 adults and children slept in the city shelters last Thursday night, according mm. to the most recent mm. figures from the city's Department of Human Services. Thousands more slept on the streets in the subway system and in other public spaces. Uh, New Yorkers seem increasingly concerned and frustrated. The number of 311 calls about the homeless jumped nearly 60% since Mayor de Blasio took office. That frustration has manifested into the real estate world. Brokers have noticed that many of their clients are increasingly reluctant to rent or buy an apartment when they spot a homeless person nearby. Is this really the truth? (laughs) I I actually once paid a homeless person to get off the stoop and move before an appointment. (laughs) (laughs) They won't take food, so I was like, here's Oh my gosh, they don't take food. They don't take food. So, uh, yeah, it worked. Mm -hmm. And it was necessary for the showing. Sometimes you gotta do that. How do you start off a showing? You know, don't just climb over the homeless person into the lobby (laughs) that doesn't work. But you know, this is, you know, this is really a serious situation (laughs) in this this town. You know, when I first came to this town, it was, so prevalent. It was all over the place. I mean, you really couldn't walk a, a, a block without seeing many, many people laying on the street. Not just one, many. It cleaned up, you know, over the years. But I have to say, in the last year or two, it seems to be coming back again. And well, I have to say, you know, Rachel's point about, you know, the asking someone to leave by incenting him with some money to get off a stoop. I mean, is this what we've we've come There's to? A I mean, at this change. point, you, you do know There's that the reason why changes. that exactly it's due to yeah. policy change that this is happening. So it's not that there's an increase in the number of homeless people in this town. The increase is in the fact that uh, police officers are no allow, no longer allowed to remove homeless people if they're sitting in certain Correct. public yeah. spaces. So as a result of that, um, they're not getting removed the, they, the way that they were for a long time. And in addition, because there are public shelters, there are shelters run by the city. Um, there's also what people don't talk about, a lot of private uh, shelters. There's a lot of religious organizations, including the Salvation Army that run shelters. And we're talking about policy change. A lot of their city funding was cut back. Thank you. I was going to you have, took the words right out That's of right. And, and these... Houses of worship, which are nonprofit, live on donations and live on tax cuts mm-hmm. and live on breaks like that. And they don't have a lot of them anymore. They don't have the soup kitchens are struggling. Yeah. So there's this another is, one. When I another hear one. that in one night, last Thursday night, mm-hmm. 57,000 you know, adults and children were on the streets of New York. Now, so last mm-hmm. Thursday Remember, night. New York was, is five boroughs also. Correct. Yeah. Okay. But, but still, that's a lot yes. of people. And, yeah. you know, the weather is still warm. You know, so the shelters get over. Run with people. Where do the where you know when the temperature becomes twenty and ten degrees here in town? What happens to these people? I know. And, how and if you've had the conversation with bad. these people, I don't know if you've taken the time to just have conversations with homeless homeless people. I tend to make that into a into a hobby, hobby. of sorts, I guess. But um, but by doing that, what you realize is the stories that they will tell you about what happens at shelters and how they don't. You know, I mean, I don't know if it's excuses, but I've heard it many times. I've heard the stories by multiple people in many different 
situations that makes me realize that the consistency of it probably attests to some sort of truth. But that's why they want the private shelters. And the private shelters are dwindling because they're losing their breaks and they can't afford to stay open. Right. Right. Most of these people who were really, it could be any one of us. It's really a sense of circumstance. It really is. We would be, that's right, they would be in the private shelters. It's a whole lot of people that actually were, uh, you know, quote unquote, no more people three years ago. There's a tremendous amount and our number of homeless has grown Mm -hmm. and we're projected to have... Homeless the elderly, elderly is another whole story. Yes. So if yes. you're seeing more homeless people, it's because there are more and we're going to have a hell of a winter. And I think, you know, yeah. personally, it's, you know, we have all these things that are priorities for the season. Um, for the for the time in the, in the city, I would never claim to understand how intense it is to have a hold a public position. But New York needs to get really busy and have this be a priority And the subways again. need to be attended to because that's where they go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The but they go they were so about that this yes. on the news. Every, every they are. There is no room the for them this year. It's really going to be an interesting yeah. year. And I know a lot of them as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes, of course. A lot of... Homeless people. Homeless if people. you live in a neighborhood, you get your regulars. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah, I cook dinner and I bring them out the dinner. I, yeah. and I bring them soap because they share with me three days a week. They wash and they wash here and they wash there. And I bring them their soap and their towel. And, you know, I had a lot yeah, of regulars. Exactly. Oh, these are the everyday <laughs> people. These are the people that we want to help. We do see a lot of them who are the mentally ill, who are out there, who will not accept help, who are really... Yeah. They should get a different kind of help that none of us are qualified to give. Most of them Mm -hmm. are mentally ill. Yes, but there are those that could be any one of us, as Ivy was just saying, (gasps) that we do give them food. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And they will take food as opposed to the ones that take money. All right, guys, we are out of time, unfortunately. Ah. I just wanted to make a uh, note on November 11th, the New York City uh, Expo, the seventh annual, will be in place. I'm moderating a, a, a panel of new development conversations, so please stop by and see. We will talk about more, more about that next week. That's Good Morning New York for this week. Thanks for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Hi, I'm John Rainey, Chief Financial Officer of United Airlines, and I'm honored to be the National Chair for the 2015 March for Babies campaign for the March of Dimes. United is a proud supporter.